0: That's my favorite introduction ever from my favorite pastor ever. 40 years is a long time to be accountability partners. Yeah, I said yes to, to Jesus in 1980 at youth camp when um, Green Acres. we went to youth camp and then uh, eight years later, I said yes to Janet and to be my wife, so was my first love and my second love, but honestly, there's no one who's helped me keep those two promises more than paul coleman so thank you for inviting me to be here it's it's good to be be back here i'm uh now in tulsa oklahoma as paul said janet and i moved there our her parents also moved there they he's a retired pastor her father is a retired pastor turns 91 next week and uh my mother-in-law is a couple of years younger than that. I can't say in public how old she is, but they just got through driving. They got back from Arizona last week where they drove, and they're, they're driving to Branson next. They're very active, wonderful people. But before well, we, we all moved to Tulsa, we were packing, we were getting ready to move To Oklahoma and my mother-in-law was so excited because she's from Oklahoma she's from Midwest uh, City in Oklahoma City and she um, also went to Oklahoma State University and a light came on I mean as we were getting ready it was just the two of us in the room there in Nashville and I remember going to a couple of Pickens family reunions and it just it was it was uh, all over the news that uh, T. Boone Pickens had died, who was well-known in Oklahoma and Texas, but really everywhere. He'd given more to OSU. They had 653 million reasons to love him at OSU, you know. <laughs> Everybody loved uh, T. Boone Pickens, who's from there, but uh, lived in, in Texas, just bigger than life. And so it was all over the news. And, and so the lights came on, and I, and I never asked her this. I said, Joyce, are you related to T. Boone Pickens? She said, yeah, she's so unpretentious. Yeah, we're distant relatives, just kind of played it down, and I tucked it in there. A few weeks later, we move to Tulsa, and we're having dinner with another ministry couple, both of whom live in Stillwater and both of whom graduated from OSU, and I thought, this is my chance to impress them. Isn't that what you're supposed to do? Well, I... I, I, I couldn't wait. I mean, we didn't even get the order out. We're we're in the restaurant, and Janet's sitting next to me in the booth. And I said, you know, we're new here, of course, and thanks for taking us out. I said, you know, her uh, her mom, or Janet, is a relative of T. Boone Pickens. Well, I'm telling you, it went over even better than I'd hoped. The pastor, using a pastor outdoor uh, voice, said to Janet, you're related to T. Boone Pickens? And then before Janet could answer, his wife said the same thing. You're related to T. Boone Pickens? I mean, this is just going great. Until Janet said, who's T. Boone Pickens? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not real good at impressing people. An even more awkward friendship introduction than that is found in Acts chapter 10. If you'd like to turn with me to Acts chapter 10, I want to read a story that impacts us today in a big way. And I was reading this last year, this passage I'm about to read to you. I was reading this last year at this time, just devotionally, reading through the, 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 the book of Acts, chapter 10, one day, chapter 11, the next day. But I don't know if you've ever done this, but the next day I was reading chapter 10 again, and then the next day, and for three weeks, I could not leave this passage of scripture. Because what had just happened in this country, we had officially all gone crazy. This time last year, you not only had the pandemic, paranoia and crisis, and it was terrible. I mean, it was not just paranoia, it was killing people. And and, and you also had the election. This time last year in Tulsa, we had at the same time, within a few blocks from each other, Donald Trump and Al Sharpton. There was a little bit of tension in Tulsa, if you know what I mean. And, 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 and then um, you had all the cultural uh, stuff going on. George Floyd had just died, and I was praying this prayer. And you may have been praying the same prayer last year at this time. Simple prayer. God, what can I do? I didn't know the answer to that. All the pastoral experience in the world did not prepare me for a pandemic, for the protests, for the politics. And just, I just want to be, I just want to make my world better. What we're about to read is how God, what God showed me and the reason he left me camped out for three weeks, what he told me I could do. And hopefully it'll be an encouragement to you as well. Acts chapter 10, we see two guys that could not be more different. Peter and Cornelius, you know Peter from Pentecost and just one of, the, one of the 12, one of the leaders. He's now been an apostle at this point for four to five years. So three years with Jesus. Then after the resurrection, another four or five, lots of preaching, resurrections, miracles, all kinds of stuff. Everybody knew who Peter was. Cornelius was a very popular centurion, Roman centurion from an Italian regiment. So he was Italian, he was, he was not a Christian, Uh, He was very friendly in Caesarea uh, to the Jews, but he was not a Jew, he was not a Christian. And God speaks to both of them and says, I want you guys to meet. I need you guys to meet. And so in a vision, he tells them in verse 9 of chapter 10 in the CSB, it says, uh, the next day as they were traveling and nearing the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. He became hungry, wanting to eat, but while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open, and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth, the birds of the sky, and a voice said to him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I've never eaten anything impure or ritually unclean. Again, a second time the voice said to him, What God has made clean do not call impure. This happened three times, and suddenly the object was taken into heaven. Now, how many of you have a kid that you have, tell, you have to tell them not once, not twice, but three times before they listen? Peter was that kid. It seemed like every time God wanted to get something through to him, he'd say it three times. His whole life he'd been told, this is not kosher. This is unclean. This is unclean. And so he's telling him in a dream three times, quit calling things unclean. Quit calling people unclean quit practicing favoritism that's what he was telling him and out of that came a friendship out of that came a movement out of that we're here we're human dominoes of this story right here so out of this passage here's the four things that, that i believe the lord showed me the first thing i can do because there's still chaos. Have you noticed? There's still chaos around here. There's still the pandemic. There's still politics. There's still, there's still social uh, issues. And so we, we have a lot, a lot of work. But one thing we can do is listen. We can listen. First of all, they listened to God. They were in, God spoke to them in, in these dreams. And in verse 24, the following day, Peter entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was expecting them, and he called together his relatives and close friends. And when Peter entered, Cornelius met him, fell at his feet and worshipped him. And that's, now that's an awkward introduction. That's awkward. Peter lifted him up and said, stand up, I myself am also a man. And while talking with him, he went in and found a large gathering of people. Peter said to them, you know it's forbidden for an, a Jewish man to associate or or visit with a foreigner as if it wasn't awkward enough. He says, first thing he says is I'm not supposed to be here. I'm not supposed to be with you folks. But God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. And that's why I came without any objection when I was sent for. So may I ask why you sent for me? So he, he listened to God first. And, and honestly, that's every day. That's why we, we pray and we read the scriptures. That's, that's why we meet together every week is because we are wanting to hear from God, right? You want to, you're here because you want to hear from God. But he's, he's taken us uh, now, both Cornelius and Peter have heard from God. And the first things out of their mouth when they meet are questions. And I don't know if it was day one, day two, day three, the second week, but somewhere in there it, it, it just came, came very clear to me that they started this awkward relationship by listening. Wouldn't our world be better if people started with listening instead of talking? If we actually talked to each other instead of at each other. Another, another great leader of the church at that time was James and. He famously wrote, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. We're not going to get a lot done by just talking or posting or even preaching. This is about gospel friendships. This is about true life-on-life relationships. It wasn't just that Peter wrote a letter to Cornelius or or Cornelius and Peter became photo buddies. They became true friends. And lots of people, including us, were blessed because they did. The first thing Peter, who wasn't great at listening, if if you know his story, the first thing he did and Cornelius was to listen. We can do that. We can do that. So I started to call my friends, my pastor friends, since I, get to, I got to meet a lot of pastors over the years. And the, the pastor, the black pastors, I started to call them, how are you doing? And just listen. I gathered pastors together, some one-on-one, some in groups, black pastors in Tulsa last year. How are you doing? I talked to police, law enforcement. How are you doing? By the way, this is a great marriage sermon. Amen? Yeah, you, you're not sure what to do to, to help your marriage? Listen. Ask your wife how she's doing and then shut up. Is that simple. And so when we don't know what to do, sometimes we just keep talking when we ought to be listening. Quick to listen, not quick to speak. And so I started to listen. I started to listen and... Because of listening, I started, the second thing I realized I could do is I could learn. If Peter had a lot to learn, seven years into ministry, seven years as an apostle, if he was still learning stuff, how about me? I never want to stop growing spiritually, do you? And if, if, if we stop learning, we stop growing, amen? I'm telling you, I'm reading a story you've already heard before, but you can learn from it if you ask God and that's what I'm saying, Lord, what, what can I do? Well, he says, well, dance, you can listen and you can learn. I had a lot to learn. Even last year as I was new to Tulsa, Janet and I were new to Tulsa and started sheltering in place almost immediately after we got there, it was hard to meet people, at least in person. But I didn't know anything about Oklahoma, really. And when I got there, it was like, hey, there's this big anniversary coming next Memorial Day called the hundredth it's the hundredth anniversary of a Tulsa race massacre. And I was like, What? What's a race massacre? And I started to read and research because you know what? It's hard to love your neighbor if you don't know your neighbor. And tomorrow is that anniversary. So you're seeing news. You may see specials. It was on 60 Minutes uh, last Sunday. I mean, there's just constant information about the race massacre. And you may think, well, this has nothing to do with me. But you know what? It's probably the most important historic event in the black community in our country. And it happens. It's actually a two-day event because it was that massive. And, and um, I was downtown Tulsa just two days ago. Tomorrow morning I'll be there for a a dedication of a prayer wall that was the last remnant of that. 35 square blocks were burned down. No one knows how many people died. Could be up to 300. But I've yet, I've been in Oklahoma a year and a half, I've yet to met one Oklahoman who heard about it growing up in school. I had experienced the same thing when I went to pastor my first church in South San Antonio, a completely Hispanic neighborhood. Not a transitioning, transition neighborhood and there's a little white church there that i pastored and i knew nothing about hispanic culture because i went i didn't go to the fancy rich kid high school across town where paul coleman went i went to the other one (laughs) i don't even know the name of his high school anymore but i went to john tyler so i knew all about black and white culture but i didn't know anything about hispanic culture But I couldn't love my neighbor if I didn't know my neighbor. I didn't know what, I knew what Cinco de Mayo meant. Literally, I took Spanish class, you know, 5th of May, but what did it mean? Moved, uh, pastored my second church in this little place that called Kingsport, Tennessee. Never heard of Kingsport, Tennessee. And there was this big, big, still is, Eastman Kodak. Have you heard of Eastman Kodak? It's not Eastman Kodak anymore. It's still Eastman. And everybody in my church worked for Eastman. And um, we were there for ten years. It was a church plant. We were there for ten years. Had two kids there. And probably the only two kids that weren't named Peyton. <laughs> Every kid got that name in the '90s. Boys, girls, middle name, first name—it didn't matter. You need to learn how to sing "Rocky Top," and you need to learn how to respect Peyton Manning. Everywhere I go, everywhere, everywhere I go, I want to learn who my neighbors are. really not that complicated. When, when, when we've moved to a new house or, or to a new place, if I walk out my door, every house that I can see from my front door, I write down the address and then I look for opportunities to meet them, usually in the yard, wait for them to come out, especially during a pandemic. I write the name down that they become part of the prayer list and I get to know my neighbors. That's old school, but if we're going to be good if we're really going to be have gospel friendships we've got to listen and we've got to learn and i still have a lot to learn i have some things to unlearn that i grew up learning peter was like man i've heard my whole life you can't eat that stuff i heard my whole life you can't go into a gentile's house and now you're telling me i'm wrong God showed him he was practicing favoritism. Now, not all favoritism is racism. There's all kinds of favoritism out there. Now, all racism is favoritism, and favoritism is a sin. So all racism is obviously sin, but we we can practice favoritism just by treating people that we like better than people that we don't like. By loving our friends and not loving our enemies, which Jesus told us to. Or, you know, treating some members better. As a pastor out here, I still flinch when I hear the term good prospect. So gospel friendship means not just having friends that don't look like you, but also making friends that don't think like you. Having friends that don't vote like you. How many friends do you have that are democrats or how many friends you have that are republicans you know or honestly when when god's called us to to friendships it's not just so that we'd be buddies and that they would like us it's that we can point them to jesus who can change their life and so peter changed the life of cornelius his whole family not because he was such a great guy, but because he was obedient to God. And, and, and Peter listened and he learned. He relearned. Third thing I found I could do here is we picked this up in verse 44 is that I can love. I can love. First, let me read verse 34. I don't want to miss this because this is the key to the learning. Peter began to speak. Now he's with these new friends, he said, now I truly understand that God does not show favoritism. But in every nation or ethnic group, nation means is ethnos, every ethnic group, but every person who fears him does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. And he just shares the gospel, the, the, the same gospel he shared at Pentecost four or five years earlier. He's sharing now with these Gentiles and they, they get saved. They hear about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. They get saved and want to get baptized. In verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came down, just like Pentecost, on all those who heard the message. Verse 45, the circumcised believers, those are the Jews that came with him, who'd come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. Like, what's happening? All the Christians were Jews at this point. For they heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter said, can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And here's the most radical verse in this whole radical chapter. The last part, the last verse. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. They asked him to stay. I mean, he wasn't, he, this is his first time ever in a Gentile's home. Now he's eating with him. Now he's baptizing him. And I don't know of a way of baptizing somebody without touching them. That too was a no-no. And then he's spending the night. Now he's spending several nights. You want to know what a gospel friendship looks like? It's not, a gospel friendship is when you're, you're doing life with them. When you're going to each other's kids' games or grandkids' games, when you're eating over each other's house, when you're having vacation, when you actually have a real friendship, you're doing life on life together. And that is a glorious picture of the gospel. And so let me ask you again, when's the last time you had somebody in your life, in your home, at your table that doesn't look like you, think like you, or vote like you? Because it glorifies God when we have gospel friendships and it changes people's life. Ephesians 2 11 says, Jesus is our peace who made both groups that's Gentile and Jew one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. Friends, we've got hostility in Tulsa today. Crazy has come to town in Tulsa and I'm going back there today and jumping in the middle of craziness because that's where God is had a wonderful time Janet and I went there Friday spent all day on Black Wall Street, Greenwood festival music, great food, friendly people amazing well not everybody was friendly did meet some Black Panthers that never did smile back at me or say hello I'm on a I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna have to warm up to them. They're not, they weren't ready to give me a hug yet, but there's always tomorrow. The fact is, if you love only, only love people that love you back, Jesus said, what good is that? Come on, you just nice to people that are nice to you? How would that be different for anything else? The real challenge is to love the people that are hard to get along with, and everybody's gonna see them this summer at a family reunion. Everybody's got somebody in your family that you don't look forward to seeing, and that's a gospel friendship too, isn't it? Because they need Jesus too, amen? Our neighbors, our friends, neighbor means nearest one, and whoever God puts in your life, love them. So God says to me, Lord, what can I do? What can I do? He says, Mark, you can listen. You can learn and you can love. One more thing I learned from Peter here, and that's in chapter 11. The first couple of verses, chapter 11, is that I can lead. I can lead. Verse 1, chapter 11 says, The apostles and the brothers and sisters throughout Judea heard the Gentiles had received the word of God, and Peter went up to Jerusalem. When he went to Jerusalem, the, the circumcision party criticized him. Wouldn't that be heartbreaking? Lot, I mean, you just lead a whole family and a bunch of friends to the Lord. and You know, the 72-mile walk from Caesarea to Jerusalem, he is so excited. God showed up. Man, is just like little Pentecost. And he's telling his friends, and, and they criticize him. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to an uncircumcised man and ate with him? Is that what, you, is that what got you there? You ate with him? Ate. And then, but here's what Peter did. You can tell there's maturity in Peter. He's, he's grown up some. Peter began to explain to them step by step. In other words, he patiently laid out what happened. And by verse 18, we see that they not only listened, but they rejoiced. In verse 18, it says, they heard this, they became silent, they started listening. And they glorified God saying, so then God has given repentance resulting in life even to the Gentiles. When he went from friend to advocate, he went from loving The leading. That's the difference. It's one thing to love people when they're in the room. It's another to speak up for them when they're not in the room. God's called the Christians, those who follow Christ, to be leaders. To speak up for people who aren't in the room when they're getting trashed. To become ministers of reconciliation. And I gotta be honest, I've not always done that. As I was beginning to develop what ended up being obviously a sermon last year, eventually I preached it. And the first place I preached it was in Dallas. and god brought to my mind something that i didn't do 40 years before in tyler i played tennis at john tyler i know you probably were expecting me to be a football player or something but you know yeah i was a tennis player and the worst you know best player on the worst team but second blessed player anyway it, four, 40 years ago the best player was anthony anthony was my best friend at john tyler and paul was my best friend at robert e lee and uh, they, they were in the same grade. Obviously, he's older than I am. But, um, so Anthony and Paul are actually two grades older. And, and Anthony went off to college, and I lost track of, of him and vice versa. But we played together every day. And he spent a lot of time at my house. He called my mom and dad, mom and dad. He's as black as I am white. And one day we went and played at the uh, Pine Creek Tennis Club, where my family belonged to for a long time. We played tennis. We went and swam, went home. And I got a call. This is 1980. From the owner of Pine Creek Country Club. I'm 15. He says, Mark, we all love Anthony. You bring Anthony to play tennis anytime you want. But most of you know what the butt is about. He said, don't bring him back to the swimming pool again. When I hung up the phone, I was confused. And then I was mad. And what happened next is the worst part of the story. Nothing. God reminded me. I didn't tell Anthony. I didn't tell my sister who also played on our team. I didn't tell my parents. I didn't tell anybody. I I hadn't said a word about it. And now I'm about to talk about this and God saying listen you need to love and listen and learn and lead and I'm like well I had only been a Christian for a few weeks at that time so I looked I looked Anthony up in social media and if you try to find an Anthony Williams in Dallas I want you to know there's more than one (laughs) it took me actually a couple of weeks I finally found him and I said hey man and he was he was still in Dallas I knew he went to college there to graduate school there and um, but he still lived there, and I was preaching in McKinney, and he lived in Frisco. He said, Hey, I'll come I'll come hear you preach. I was like, Oh, okay. I best I better ask his permission to tell this story. And I best I better ask his forgiveness for being not so good a friend. He was very gracious and not surprised at all. He and his beautiful wife and two adult sons did come hear me preach this first time, this sermon. And then Anthony and I went to his tennis club in Plano, and he absolutely destroyed me on the tennis court. (laughs) (laughs) Here's the thing about the gospel friendships. It's different than other friendships because the gospel is about life. We remember so that we won't repeat. We don't bring these things up to make people feel worse. We actually, the gospel is, 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 is where Jesus came in and forgave us even when we didn't deserve it. He took our death. He took the sting of death away. He, he rescued us from sin and we all are under that bondage until we give it to him in, in, in Moberly Baptist Church. Of all places, you know this. This is a grace zone. This is not a zone of perfectionism. And I'm not preaching perfectionism. I'm not here to make you feel worse about whatever you have or hadn't done. But I can tell you right now that when 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 you ask God to forgive you of your sin, whether it's favoritism or racism or any kind of ism, that Jesus, Jesus is the only answer to our sin problem. Not just our personal sin problem, not just our church sin problem, but all the national problems that everybody else is running around yelling about, the Jesus people haven't figured out already, amen? We go back and we remember so that we won't repeat. And so that's what's different about Tulsa this year than last year, because last year our whole world was going crazy because the, the, especially the social, the, the riots began on Thursday. They got worse on Friday, and then even worse on Saturday, and everything calmed down on Sunday. You wanna know why? Because that's when pastors got involved, that's when the church showed up. We were a few steps behind last year. But in Tulsa, we've been rallying pastors of every ethnicity for a year, and we are there in the front lines of this thing. And the church is on the front lines of social change is spiritual change. And Peter and Cornelius, both of them stepped up because they listened to God. They listened to each other. They learned from each other. They loved each other. And both of them, as great leaders, they led for each other. These are things we all can and should do today. Would you bow with me for a word of prayer? Today, if you're let me start with believers. If believers, you may have a wound. Somebody somebody said or did something to hurt you. And the gospel requires us to forgive as we've been forgiven. So start there. Or maybe you've been the one, like me, who's not been a good friend and you need forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Don't stay in that moment. Peter still struggled later in Antioch. He still struggled with favoritism. Don't stay there. God, help us to be ministers of reconciliation. Help us to show the world what it means to love people that are different, to have real friendships, where you are the glue that holds us together. If you're not a believer today, you, you, maybe in this story you identify with Cornelius, who's a very morally upright, generous Person successful at work. But he needed Jesus. And God answered his prayer and sent someone to, to, to tell the good news. And he, not only did he hear it, but his family and friends. And today you're getting to hear about how Jesus can change your life. He could take away your sin. He could take away the fear and the sting and the penalty of death. If you ask him, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And there are pastors that would be more than happy to talk to you after this service or online. If you want to take your first step in following Jesus, ask him to save you today. Lord, take away my sin. Lord, take my life over. Starting today, I give you my life. And Lord, we give you glory for any decisions made. In Jesus' name, amen.